welcome to this week's episode of the podcast for the Send Institute. On previous episodes, we talk about the need for church planning innovation and environments where the entire body of Christ can be included and released to church planning. Well, today our guests are probably among the most innovative in North America in terms of pioneering new structures to reach the hardest to reach among them, specifically through releasing the body of Christ as missionaries to start microchurches. Last month at Exponential, Tiffany Smith and I had the distinct privilege of sitting down with Brian Sanders and Jeremy Stevens, the founders of the Tampa Underground Network. Now, in this episode, we learn exactly what the Tampa Underground Network is and how God is using them to evangelistically engage the city of Tampa through equipping microchurches but also social entrepreneurs. Now, when I first heard about them, I thought they were just another large church doing small groups or missional communities, but after spending more time with them, it's pretty clear that they are not that. So in this episode, you'll hear the story of Tampa Underground and how a new mission structure is being pioneered in North America and how God is using their people to win people to Christ and transform communities. Man, we're really excited to have uh, the Underground uh, Network, their team here with us on the Senate's new podcast, and also Dr. Tiffany Smith, our strategist here at the Senate Institute. So, man, I'm uh, really excited about your story and what you guys can share with the larger um, church planning uh, community. Um, if you guys don't mind, I've got uh, Brian Sanders, uh, Jeremy, and Elise, and I'm uh, really excited that you guys are here. You guys mind just telling us the backstory of the underground? I know you guys were in the Philippines for a while. If you guys don't mind just sharing that story and uh, give us some some background and framework for for what you guys have started ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for having us. Um, so, really, twenty years ago, there was just a group of people in Tampa that said, "Man, we just want to read the Book of Acts. We want to be the church." There was no kind of agenda to kind of take over the city or be a new form of church. It was just kind of we wanted to do college ministry and work with the poor in the city and learn how to be in both spaces and be the church and be authentic and uh, just really embrace that that life fully. It was out of that place that we kind of grew discontent. We were successful at making disciples. We're kind of seeing new faces of Jesus and the faces of our neighbors, you know, our poor neighbors and, you know, faces that had different colors and economic uh, backgrounds and we, we realized that the church that we're going to, the Sunday service thing, um, was completely disconnected and frustrating us. And there was a divine discontent that began to kind of erupt in us. Um, <clears throat> out of that place, we, we started saying, man, we need to figure this out. You know, we need to be faithful. And so we tried to do reform church. We tried to, like, do house church kind mm. of stuff within larger bodies. But at some point, we just said, we, we just need to start. I think we need to feel free if we feel the permission to just be the church for our generation and the kind of next wave of church and be faithful to what we believe the church to be. And so to, to not be faithful, to kind of compromise was just killing us. You know, um, you know, guys like myself or <clears throat> Brian, we just we can't stomach it. Mm. <laughs> we, we have to you know, live in conviction and um, to, to have these small compromises was very difficult for us. So we started gathering people and, and said, you know, let's let's really learn about the church. We studied the book of Revelation for like a year and asked the question, okay, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, kind of Well, so instead of going to the book of Acts, you went to the book of Revelation. Go to the end, man. <clears throat> Go to the end. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just like at the end. Yeah. It wasn't just like, okay, 
baby <laughs> Jesus story. It's, right. You know, his eyes are on fire. Right. You know, he's like judging There's a the sword earth. coming out of his mouth. He's a slain yeah. lamb. And and, okay, what does this mean about Jesus? And then what does this mean about us? We're his body, we're his church, we're his bride. What, what does this mean for us in our day? And so wrestling, that was kind of an interesting, you know, a lot of people don't start there with uh, ecclesiology, but that's where we didn't know better. So mm. that's where we started. At the end of that, we said, man, let's um, let's kind of take nine adults, ten children, kind of commission them to go to the Philippines and uh, and basically submit to a non-white, non-Western context. Said, man, we really go into these incredible leaders who are planting churches in the slums of Metro Manila to teach us how to be Christian again. Like, we assume we don't know anything. We don't know anything about leadership. Church, like, teaches everything. And... Um, and while we're being mentored in that context, we kind of went away every Monday night, found some air conditioning, and tried to dream <laughs> and draw the blueprint of the underground. And uh, Brian led a lot of that. You know, he's kind of the apostolic leader, structural thinker, you know, really presses with questions. He, he's a little bit more educated than me. I'm just a special ed teacher. <laughs> so that's all I got going for me. I've read a few books, but he's read a, a few more. And um, so he really drove a lot of that discussion drew up the blueprint and uh and at the end of that that was that was 10 almost 11 years ago mm. it kind of returned to tampa to that you know group of faithful 50 it said we think this is this is church this is church for us and we weren't again we weren't even trying to say this is the church for atlanta this is the church for you know toronto this this is just this is just us trying to be faithful and that was the blueprint and that blueprint has I don't even know if we changed anything in 10 years. I mean, mm. we added one value. Yeah, we've added one value. Mm. You know, so in the Philippines, we generated a manifesto of values yeah. saying this is... What are those? Is, what, uh, there's are 18 they? of them. Okay. So, too, too yeah, many it's, it's too many. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, but what we mean what are, by that What are is, some of those? What are, I, I mean, mean Jesus, the lost, the poor, yeah. the whole world, simplicity, yeah. multi-ethnicity, yeah. the Bible. Empowerment. Empowerment. Mm. You know, so we have this... I mean, amazing zeal and contemplation, prayer and dependence on God. It's, we mean all of it. Yeah. We don't mean just, oh, well, three of them. And we're not trying to even market it. You know, marketing would say, you should pick three, make them all one word. Right, yes. right. It's not and, memorable. Yeah, yeah. It, begin it with it's all the same letter. complicated. Yeah. You know, and then you can pass it on to people. <laughs> right. No, it's... Didn't we, do, didn't we do a test one time where you had to see how many of them you could, you could name, like yeah. our leaders could name, yeah. and if you could name all 18, mm -hmm. you like... Past the test, we got gold star. No, yeah. no one, no one could do it. No one could do it. <laughs> but these these values for us are aspirational. They're they're. It's like I we want to be this. We want you know. Right, oh, and right. you could easily look at it and go, oh, I suck at half of these. Like I'm terrible at them. But I want to be the church that is all of this. You know, we want to be in a part of a church that is all of this. That is aspiring, like running towards Jesus in all of these ways, letting Him sanctify us in these ways. So uh, that's kind of our the way that we kind of bind ourselves together, okay. you know, evangelicals. And I think that's slightly different, maybe glue too, uh, for our communities that, that we would we wouldn't say that we're defined or or aligned in, to a vision. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I would maybe, um, I don't know, contend that that is not as healthy of a an approach to to alignment, uh, but instead a set of values mm -hmm. and a commitment to conduct mm -hmm. or behavior. Um, and, being rather than doing. Yeah, and 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 to allow people to determine their own sense of vision for their life, not not one 
central leader kind of being Moses and coming down the mountain and saying, you know, I'm the friend of God. I'm, I'm the one that glows and you all need to sort of align to my vision. But yeah. This sort of polyvisional environment where we don't know what you're supposed to do with your life, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're supposed to figure it out. And we're here to do this together somehow. But we'll, we'll do it in a certain way. That's yeah. what we agreed to. So yeah. you guys came back to Tampa mm-hmm. and um, you formed uh, the network. And can you explain how that looks like today? Um, what it's become today? Because I, I think, you know, I, I know a bit of your story. I think a lot of listeners will will hear underground uh, uh, network and think, is it an, an underground church? Uh, mm-hmm. And so what does it look like today? And ecclesiologically, what is, how is it different from, from mm-hmm. a, a church on the corner maybe? Um, yeah, so I think we want to say that these sort of missionary bands, these people that have a sense of calling and then they form community around that calling and then they go and they, they, they engage mm-hmm. the unbelieving, needy world in some way, some place. We, we just think that's the church. That actually is the church. Mm-hmm. And this centralized thing we do where we gather those people or we serve those people or resource those people, um, is more of a network mm-hmm. of churches or a family of churches. So ecclesiologically, we, we actually want to give the goods and the sacraments of the church to those smaller expressions. So we call them micro churches, but the truth is they don't have to be small at all. Some of them are hundreds of people. That's mm-hmm. okay too. It's just not, we're not defining it as something that needs to be a certain size. Um, and each of them will grow to the capacity of their leaders and their, their own sense of vision for what they're trying to accomplish. And then we, those of us that sort of lead the network side of things, it's a really a dual operating system, a dual ecclesial operating system. Mm-hmm. Um, we exist to serve them, to see them thrive, to not, to not give up, mm-hmm. to have all the things that they need to succeed, to marshal the full resources of uh, a conglomerate, a coalition, uh, for on their behalf. So that would differ in some ways from say a house church Mm -hmm. movement or something like that, which is totally decentralized and maybe does not have the, the, you know, the resources or significance of a, of the centralized expression of church. But in marketing terms, we would be maybe a house of brands, um, not a branded house. So we're not trying to say everything is underground. That, in that sense, we are shy. So we're not, mm-hmm. we, we, people don't need to know about the underground. They, yeah. You don't need to have heard of the underground. You need You need to, we, we like it to tell the story of these 200 now, yeah. 200 churches that are part of our family in Tampa. Uh, th- those are the people we want people to know. They all have their own names. You know, They have the right to name themselves, you yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, and we're just sort of there to serve them. So you guys are not the pastors of these two hundred micro churches, mm-hmm. no. right? So you're, you know, you know, uh, in in cell churches, they'll also say, you know, we're 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 a conglomeration of house churches, cell churches that have a celebration worship service on Sunday. I'm hearing you guys say that you're not the pastors of these micro churches. Uh, in terms of you know church polity, in terms of like uh, spiritual growth, uh, discipleship making, who who plays that role for these churches? So if you if you'll have a simple ecclesiology like we do, you spray, ours is just worship, community, and mission. Where those three things overlap, we're saying, well, that's the church. It can have more things. Yeah. That. 
Um, but if it only has that, we have to admit it is the minimum viable product. It is the irreducible minimum. It is the church. So then, at least in our view, those churches need to be led by elders. Mm-hmm. So we have we have a process of sort of uh, ordaining and training those leaders to see themselves as elders and to hold in their hands the sacraments, but also the standard and the expectation of elders mm-hmm. upon their lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, their yeah. character. Um, of course, in, in our view, the church does not need to be led by a particular gift, mm-hmm. but instead it should be led by a certain gift caliber of character in yeah. the person. So it's not necessarily a pastor that should lead the church. That's one gift. Uh, no more than an evangelist should lead a church. Or they mm-hmm. can. That's great. That's fine. Uh, it produces a certain kind of church, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about eldership, whatever that means. So then what we end up having is this kind of college of elders, with, you know, 200 elders or something like that. And then we want to create polity or a governance that that is built on covenant between them mm-hmm. and an expectation a standard <laughs> for their leadership and holding each other in discipline and accountability for that so there is no hierarchy in that sense although although they, they do set apart some people to be sort of overseers that yeah. handle discipline and things like that yeah but I think that's actually a big part of the recipe here. Yeah. In point of fact, not yeah. not to let it be so very organic that it's yeah. that it's um, uncorrectable or has no standards. So you, yeah. I mean, but, as, the, but the governing elders or the that that body of elders isn't really underneath the control of the network or the that's right the five hundred one c three. We have no control over them. Yeah. The, okay. The yeah. staff that are hired by the network to equip and serve churches has no control over the churches. Yeah. And even for discipline. Now, some of us may also sit because we are also elders. We also because we lead microchurches too. Yeah, yeah. 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 We we may <clears throat> overlap in some of those ways, but it's not like, well, this, you know, we're just changing terminology. Oh, yeah. we really are the pastors, but we just, right. you know, slipped a new name in there. It's like no, we don't have control over those things. Well, also, I don't have a pastoral bone in my body so <laughs> we'd really be letting people down if i was the pastor of all these i'd people. hate to be in your micro church <laughs> <laughs> exactly. so uh so churches will come to the network though for training equipping but that's optional is that i mean how do you relate to the churches what makes you a network mm-hmm. and how's your leadership beneficial over the network mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean it's it's creedal mm-hmm. so there is this manifesto thing that you have to, if you don't agree with it in, in whole, in yeah. total, yeah. then you can't really be part of the, the, mm-hmm. the community, the family. And then it's covenantal, right? So we have this leadership expectation and covenant, which all of them must commit to. After that, it is up to them to avail themselves of the services that we offer. We really do leave in their hands. Um, and so so there's a, there's a variation in quality, yeah. isn't there? I guess I was talking to somebody about that the other day. I sort of feel like that's a that's a um, a trade I'm willing to make, uh, maybe to to give up the control, the quality control, in favor of autonomy and empowerment mm-hmm. and ownership, mm-hmm. real ownership that people have. Now, I, I wish we could have both. If there was, maybe somebody out there is going to find a way to do this, um, and and maybe have that high level of quality control without taking away Mm -hmm. autonomy and control. But if I'm going to err, I I suppose I'd rather err on the side of empowerment. Yeah. Trust, believing the headship of Jesus over those, 
those churches is yeah. really what they are. Absolutely. So, so we may put to them, like, what helps you be the church? You and your community, what helps you be the church? Then opt into those this menu of services. You know, that's how we would. There's, and there's tons of training things we offer, and we hope that they're good enough that people want them and avail them. And the truth is the microchurches that use more of our services do better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, so it's a direct can correlation. you name just a couple of those training things that you guys do for them? Just one or two. I mean, the elders in training. Yeah. It is optional. So we, we they covenant mm-hmm. with us to have a certain level of character, okay. and, and we're, we're serious about that. Yeah. But there's a training thing for ordination for some, some people. Summer Institute. You know, the Summer Institute. We have open source seminars. So okay. some of our leaders actually are becoming experts in their own fields, like homeless ministry or... Okay grief kind of prayer mm, you know mm. that type of stuff and i don't know how to lead that but what we've done is create a platform where that they can now come in stay and train each and, other yeah teach yeah. each other how to do that mm-hmm. so we also you know host you know um, maybe a leadership summit and which is like a planning retreat time so every microchurch needs to probably plan at some point for their ministry year right uh some of them it might be just beyond their ability to organize that, you know, because it's a small house church or whatever. And so we try to say, well, we'll just do that collectively and we'll give a little bit of content or a few seminars. But there's also a lot of space for kind of them to plan, them to pray. And and for us, we do really push on them the, the listening posture and prayer. Like mm-hmm. what helps you be the church? Where is God calling you to be? You should do that. We don't know how to reach strip club bouncers. But if you're called to that population, mm-hmm. you need to figure it out. Here's some services that may help you, but I don't I don't know exactly how to do that. So we want to give those spaces for people. It could be, too, that the best thing we offer actually is the community itself. It's, I think it's so. It's the convening actually. of this missionary community and, mm-hmm. and how they somehow resource each other and hold each other up. And they they persevere yeah. because they look into each other's eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's not really something we do. I mean, we don't have, we can't take credit for that. I can't control you can't manufacture it. that. You can't that's manufacture right. you can't yeah. do it. I mean, even when they worship together. So we just had a big conference just last weekend. It's just electric. It's just mm-hmm. something else. I, I don't know how, it, the, the music is good, but it's not like it's about the music. It's, not mm-hmm. about, it's still the same Bethel song. The room, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They but they're, they're just car. crying and laying on the ground. And it's just because these are these are people that are pouring their lives out. And yeah. in some cases, to the to the very edges of the margins of this world. And, yeah, yeah. And when they worship, it's different. It, yeah, it you is. know, it feels different. So yeah. you talked about the nonprofit side. Uh, and you guys, you own a facility. You have a hub. It's co-working space. You do a lot of... Organizations are a part of that. So can you talk about how that feeds into the whole network and the usage of that space? Well, we don't own it, but if... If you only. Know, if yeah. only. Yeah. yeah. You I, occupy I, I play space. the lottery <laughs> just for that. You play the lottery just for that. Yeah. <laughs> just for that, maybe. Yeah. One day. <laughs> well, I mean, we offer five core services. One of them is facilities. So mm-hmm. that's... When you, when, you, when you have these kind of small, feisty startup. Mm-hmm. ministries there's mm-hmm. certain things they need common things yeah. that they need and facilities is one of them so at this point we have about fifty thousand square feet that we're trying to say okay if you need it use it this, these things are open for people yeah. to use but that's just one thing you might need an office you might need a place to have a meeting or, or your board to gather or something like that but also we have financial services so we can offer them free payroll services, donation processing, a whole series of financial policies, a purchasing card. We'll do all that for ministry startups for free. Mm-hmm. Um, 
media services. You know, if you need a website or a logo or something, we have an art team that will work with you and do that for you for free to help you get started. Um, So coaching, everybody gets a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, Training, that whole battery of services for training. So it's kind of like we're we're just trying to serve them. Yeah, yeah. And so the nonprofit side exists for them. Yeah, it exists entirely for them. We we don't we don't actually want to ask anything from them. In point of fact, half the money that the network raises, we give as grants to them, and around the world, because we want we want that money to be to be used as for the catalyst mission and to support them and what they're doing. We we need them to believe that we are for them and on their side and not trying to control them, but only want to see them thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really powerful. Every once in a while, we get a microchurch leader who just says, "Man, this is incredible. Thank you so much." Mm-hmm. Maybe they're newer to the network; they don't quite know us as well. And they said, "Well, what can I do for you? I'd like to help you out. You know, maybe mm. come set up chairs, or I want to, I want to do something for you. I want to scratch. You've scratched my back. I want to scratch your back." And I, to look them in the eye and say, "Actually, man." If you were to take away, if you were to step away from your ministry, your calling to come scratch my back, whatever that is, I'd be mad at you. Mm. What actually is going to help our relationship is you do exactly what God's calling you to do. You step into that fully and let me help you do it. You know, that's going to help our relationship really get tight, you know. But if you were to like kind of feel some kind of obligation or I need to pay you back. You know, that's not the type of relationship we really want with the churches. We want to just give gifts, serve, you know. And so we are very responsive. We, we don't want to create something that's, um, you know, to recruit people into. We yeah. say, well, what's the barriers that these missionaries and, and missional communities are hitting? Okay, let's generate something that maybe helps address that barrier. You know, finance services, you know, awesome missionaries are terrible accountants. And so we'll take that off your plate. You, you could spend all your time trying to figure out how not to go to jail and do the IRS thing, or we could just do that for you in that way you can just love people yeah. that you're called to love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same thing with media and all those things. So, so you guys have 200 micro churches, all autonomous, range in various sizes. You have a nonprofit where you resource the, the, the micro churches. <clears throat> um, so I'm seeing your, your nonprofit, your, you have some ecclesiology in place. These churches are autonomous. Are you seeing other movements like this pop up? I mean, what's what's a similar movement to underground? Or you have some sister networks. I mean, what does all, all that look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's it's different everywhere, I suppose. But it has it shares these these sort of value of of resourced and empowered, contextualized networks. So you know, we have friends in Birmingham. Um, who have a community called Common Thread. And um, I would say that that one way in which Common Thread is sort of different or unique, even from the way we do things, is that they, they've seen a lot of their microchurches really have to do with businesses. They've mm-hmm. started businesses so that they're either serving or directly resourcing the poor. And they're people, they're just, they're just amazing people. Yeah. And yeah. they have this kind of, I don't know, this like, anointing for lack of a better word to like start businesses it's crazy businesses that we would call microchurches and so do they um but they're thriving and beautiful they're such Mm -hmm. a beautiful Mm -hmm. community of people um but it's the 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 fundamentals i suppose are there are still there that that give us this kind of mirror of who we are but um I, i think of you know we just spent time with the our sister movement 
the, the leaders from Ireland, you know, yeah. Dublin, who, you know, it's they're seeing, they're they're empowering people to also kind of start missional things and and start missional churches in their in the city of Dublin, and they have Catholics and Protestants working together side by side, shoulder to shoulder in mission. That's massive, right? mm. and they don't even realize how powerful that is actually yeah. they're so they're so unassuming so yeah. humble you know they don't realize that this is this is not the norm. been done before yeah. you know this yeah. is, but it's something about the reconciliation that happens in this greater cause yeah you yeah. know that that both in the pursuit of jesus mm-hmm. and in in the pursuit of i don't know you know seeing his kingdom come yeah, yeah. so in your movement are you are you seeing I'm going to ask a straight question. Are you seeing lost people come to know Jesus? Or is this just a ecclesiological experiment that you've... <laughs> Shifting Christians you know, around. Are you, yeah. are you angry teenage Christians that decided to do church differently? Yeah. Or are you actually seeing lost people come to know Jesus? What's the... Do you... I, I don't count things, what Jeremy does. Is yeah, it, what, do I like you, to count what, what, What's the... We don't count things every year. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. we don't want to be misunderstood as policing. Yeah. And I'm not looking for a number, people. but even well, no, I'll yeah. give you some numbers, brother. Yeah. So yeah, he likes I numbers. Got you. Okay, Daniel. I got you <laughs> so, uh, so last time we surveyed, which um, was a few years ago now, there was over 300 people that came to Jesus, but I think that was with 120 microchurches, mm-hmm. something like that, 130 microchurches yeah. at that time. Yeah, yeah, at that time, so over 300 people following Jesus come to Jesus. You know, um, what's interesting is that. Sometimes we don't know. It's not like people are reporting back to us. Right. They're like, oh, I just baptized three. They just go baptize them. Yeah. They just go. Because yeah. that's their church. Jesus. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. their church. Yeah. They, they don't feel any kind of obligation to kind of come back to us and because it's, you know. Sometimes it's veiled, too, in the work they do. So I think of a, a ministry or a, like a church like Created, which is, which is working with women coming out of the sex industry. So they'll go in the clubs while the women are working build relationships with them. They'll go to street in the street. They'll go to jails. And then these women join their residential, their housing mm-hmm. program. And they're all trying to sort of come off drugs, break free from bad relationships, have a redefinition of their identity, go through trauma counseling, and they all become Christians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, 100% right. So, mm-hmm. Right. So they're not, yeah. so they're not, yeah. they're not, they're not necessarily the narrative is not primarily, look, someone made a decision right. to follow right. Jesus. It's yeah. much deeper than it's that. There's so it's much going on transformation. there. Transformation. Exactly. Yeah. So they're telling this sort of comprehensive story, Yeah. but they all become Christian. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The altar call moment is kind of like <laughs> embedded within this yeah. larger narrative. Yeah. The whole that, transformation yeah, of life. In the yeah. whole narrative, you're just like, the glory of God is amazing. Yeah. And then yeah. you're kind of like, oh yeah, there was this altar call moment or this, this conversion moment, but it's so mm-hmm. almost like overwhelmed by everything else too. Yeah, you know? yeah, so, absolutely. One thing yeah. I'm interested in, I know we measure, um, a lot of times we count noses and all of that and, and measure success in certain ways. But one thing that my heart has really been leaning towards is measuring and um, moving people into mission. So they're already believers, but they haven't been released or unleashed Mm -hmm. into living the fullness and the fruitfulness of what you guys are empowered. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of, can you give me a little bit on that and and maybe a story of something that you've seen or a community or one of these um, micro churches, how they've released people in just new, wild and wonderful expressions Mm -hmm. of Christ? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's... 
that's what we do. That's who yeah. we are. Yeah. Um, if we have one contribution to make to the one phenomenological mm-hmm. uh, point to make in our time, it would be that, mm-hmm. that actually there's all these people sitting, presumably sitting in church pews each Sunday, and, and we have no idea the power, the powder mm-hmm. keg that we're actually sitting on. Mm-hmm. Um that there is this missional imagination in each of them and they just need to be allowed. I mean, part of that is, is stepping Mm -hmm. back a little bit and giving permission for people to do something that's already in their heart. A lot of it for us has been about helping people discern their calling and design that's on their life. So we, we actually do quite a bit of work in in terms of the training segment on you know, we have a thing we call the calling lab. We have this whole sort of series of six elements that you have to kind of discern and figure out so that people have this, this almost mystical experience with God to be like, he made me for something. He loves me. He knows me. Yeah. And my roots now go deep, not just into the love of God and intimacy, because I think that's a big part of calling. It has to be rooted in. He knows me. He loves me. He called me to do, to do something. Yeah. But purpose follows intimacy. You know, intimacy good. precedes purpose and calling is both calling is both so for us it's been introducing people to jesus again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not just a relationship with the church or the leadership of the church or the programs of the church but actually introducing them with this the man jesus the god man jesus who knows you loves you yeah died to save you made the world whatever and and has something for you to do in the world yeah, yeah. and who is also your prototype i mean he lived the life yeah. Yeah. That in a sense you get to manifest uniquely. Totally. Yeah. And and left this sort of crater in the world, this massive impact upon mm-hmm. the world. And and there's hope for that in our lives too. I mean, yeah. people want their lives to matter, to have counted for something. Um, yeah. and they do have to kind of confront some sort of problem or evil. Yeah. To see that that impact or that and and that's scary and risky and, and I think part of how we've had to do it too and maybe something that's good about us is that we we have this ecology uh, that sort of created an environment where risk and experimentation and failure mm. are celebrated. Yes, we love it. What it doesn't have to work. Doesn't yeah. actually it doesn't phase us at all. And yeah. what thing what thing that's worth doing that's actually good or or hard do you do right the first time? Nothing. Yeah. Nobody picks up the violin and goes, oh, look at, you know, within two or three hours, I'm playing the violin. That's not, it takes, takes weeks, months, years to become proficient at something like that. Yeah. And yet a person that can play the violin is a gift to the world. Yeah. It's extraordinary. You know, so why is it that people plant churches and they, they plant it and in two, three years it didn't work and they quit and they're like, that's it. I'm out of ministry forever. Mm -hmm. It's like, we, we need, we need a simpler, that's my opinion. Maybe we need a simpler way to plant a version of churches where the stakes aren't as high yeah you know and yeah. and and you could you could do it six or seven times and fail yeah and then get it right on the ninth time or something yeah. well i hear you echoing i think it was like alan hirsch who said you know you lower the bar of ecclesiology and raise the bar of discipleship and but in that the discipleship happens in the failure learning yes. process. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying something for Jesus. I'm doing something with Jesus. That's right. And my expectations weren't met, but I'm not discouraged by that because I'm going to try something else. Yeah. yeah love yeah. that. So yeah. let me, so, sorry, let me ask you a question real quick. Um, if I'm, if I'm a leader of a Baptist organization or a Presbyterian organization, I'll see you as a Baptist and say, 
no, not enough or too much structure. Not not one of us. If I'm Presbyterian, I'm looking at you guys and I'm saying, not enough structure. Not one of us. So, are you friendly to evangelicals? Are you an evangelical movement? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're evangelical. Yeah. Totally. Are we friendly to them? <laughs> uh, we like them. I don't know if they like us. Um, I think it's important, Daniel, to so, say that we we. We've been intentionally shy for the first ten years of our existence. We, we, I mean, the the explanatory style, for lack of a better word, or the the framework or the narrative for us has been an experiment. This yeah. is an experiment. Yeah. So we're not sure if it would work. We're not trying to say our ideas are better than other people. We're not trying to say the church is. I mean, to some degree, we're saying the church is wrong, but. It, it, it's a little bit of a protest, but honestly, that's cooled off. That's not really motivating to mm-hmm. us after mm-hmm. like day one. Mm-hmm. It's about trying something, building something, creating something. And we just wanted to see if we could create a clinical environment. You know, all, all good experiments need to have a sort of un, uncontaminated environment. Yeah. So we did pull away a little bit from traditional church people and traditional church forums because in the end, what we wanted to see was after after a 10-year experiment, to take the data of that and then to offer it. You know, if you think of the academy, you, you then offer the, the results of the experiment. It belongs to the academy. Yeah, right. So win or lose, fail or succeed, this this belongs to the church now. Mm-hmm. So we are – we're something that has happened and something that is, I think, good and beautiful and worth considering. Um, and in that regard, I think we're, we, we should be the best friend of evangelicals yeah. and church forms because – we we belong to them. Yeah, you know we this 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 idea these ideas this information belongs to them. Mm-hmm. It belongs to the whole body and and make of it what you will. Yeah, improve upon it. Um, yeah, alter it. You know, I don't know. Correct it. I suppose even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. You talked about phenomenology and the phenomena of what what underground has become and. Um, and, and a lot of movements have started as a phenomena, the Vineyard, uh, mm-hmm. Nazarenes, uh, Pentecostals. Do you, do you worry about eventually institutionalizing? Every day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. It sends chills down my spine. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we really push against the whole cookie-cutter mindset. Mm-hmm. We, we really want to push people to be able to contextualize, hear from the Spirit, mm-hmm. you know, kind of we're okay with failure and that type of stuff but you know um we also consider the the idea of like end of life cycle yeah you know Mm. it's still kind of an idea i mean because we're not at the end of our life cycle as an organization but it's something that we do consider like you know should there be an end date you know and is that would that somehow free the next generation to be the next generation to listen to jesus and be obedient to the spirit but you know, so so yes, we were worried about that. Trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. I like to think of us as, as Netscape Navigator. You remember Netscape Navigator? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I am that old. Yeah, Mozilla like, email. Yeah, where, where yeah. is Netscape Navigator now? You know, and yeah. who actually cares? You yeah. know, the the point is, it was one of the first portals. It was one of the first ways to access this yeah. thing called the World Wide Web, and and people took it and they broke the code apart and made it better and but it it started something and that that'd be enough for me mm-hmm. um to st- and 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 the first to market is never the best you know mm-hmm. you want 
I'm, I'm believing, I'm hoping that some people listening maybe even will will improve upon that a firefox will come along firefox will be next and then before you know it you got chrome, chrome. And, you know, <laughs> there's a chrome out there man you know yeah. so it's not like it's not like the whole idea of brand loyalty and stuff like that that's just a thing of the past mm. it doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter anymore yeah. it's it's not you know who we are and what we're doing i mean that's that's just irrelevant it's about the kingdom and i think everyone i think people deep in their hearts is what they want anyway they want they yeah. want they want jesus famous and glorified and uh I, I think if we ever lose that desire um i don't know it would be a gift or a grace from god to yeah. put an end to it you know i'm going to give you guys each a chance to speak prophetically to church planning leaders the, the majority of our listening audience they're they lead church planning organizations uh and so um they make decisions strategically about how churches are being planted in, in u.s and canada uh, but what I see what's happening is a lot of our churches were birthed during the industrial period, you know, during the post-Civil War, pre-World War One, World War II. That's where a lot of the churches were birthed. And so it was birthed out of a industrialization uh, mentality. Now, I, I see uh, underground kind of post-industrial, almost more information age. I mean, the whole hub concept, I think, is, uh, you know, very... I hate to use these terms, but millennialistic and those kinds of things. If you could say something to organizational leaders who plant churches and speak prophetically, I'm going to, I'm going to unleash you. All right. <laughs> and I'll believe out whatever that. <laughs> As always the editing. Yeah. yeah. Any four letter words. <laughs> but if you can speak prophetically to uh, those who lead uh, church planning organizations, those who lead missions in North America and missions in general, what, what would you say? I'll start and let Ryan kind of do his thing. But I'd say, sorry, um, uh, two things, if I could say two Mm -hmm. things, um, because I think they're correlated. One, you must extract the money out of the models of church planting. You have to get rid of it. It's it's impure. Our motivations become totally impure when it's so mixed up. We have to increase our, our revenue streams, diversify our revenue portfolios, so that the mission of God can be like front and center and it's it's not driving us like, well, I need more butts in the seat because I need to generate more money because we want to reach more people. You know, it, the money's then right in the center of everything. And it corrupt. I think it corrupts us. Um, you just don't know if you're doing it for Jesus. Would you do it for free? Could, could you do it for free? If you can't do it for free, I don't know. Um, so, and, and because what it's correlated with is we have to deploy the churches to the margins. So this whole, like, just reach friends that look exactly like you that are, you know, it's like we have to get into the suffering and the garbage of the world, we, and we have to have the churches go there. But if they go there, it's going to, you know, a lot of their money's going to go there to the poor and to the suffering, and it's not going to come back to you. Uh, and so that all that is kind of mixed up. But we, we have to see the church go there this can't be just another version of how do we help comfortable christians stay comfortable and call it missional type of thing it has they have to genuinely be deployed but to deploy them means you're probably going to need to extract the money out of the the centerpiece of the models that you plant with mm-hmm. yeah um yes was second corinthians 4 paul says for what we preach is not ourselves 
So that's the first cutting word to our time. Mm. But Jesus Christ as Lord, that's the alternative. And ourselves as your servants for his sake. I think there has to be a revival. I think there has to be actually a complete overhaul of the way we think about leadership of the church. And actually the people that should be in leadership should not be, I don't know, fighting their egos so much, um, driven by that. I think it should be natural servants. I think that the, I think that, that networks are soon going to devour our hierarchies and that the churches we know it, the local churches we know it, is going to be replaced uh, in 20 years' time by, by what looks more like a network. And the people that will lead those networks will be unassuming, humble, fierce uh, people who have no interest in their names in lights. Um, you know, you, you, you mentioned this sort of shift in the cultural economy. I, I really like the, the work of a guy called Paul Sappho who says, you know, we have moved from a producer economy, that industrial age, where the hero is the one that builds something, to the consumer economy where the hero is the one that, you know, makes us want something mm-hmm. so that we consume. And our churches mirror this. Mm-hmm. And he, Sappho wants to say it's it's the November 2008. The consumer economy gives way to what he calls the creator economy. And this is the time we live in. And and our people want to make something with their lives. They want to create something with their lives. They they believe that they can start something. They believe that they have this belief. And for us to for us to still want them to serve our vision and still want them to serve some sort of thing that we're at the head of is is increasingly dissonant with our time and and who they were made to be and who they believe that they can be. Mm. And so I would say we have to we have to on the one hand release leadership, let go and see ourselves again as servants of those people. And on the other hand completely reform the systems and the resources of the church for them. You know the the difference between maybe the consumer model which is like I'm going to make this 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 piece of pottery and it's beautiful and it's perfect and you're going to come you're going to come to my my place and buy it and instead the church needs to look like a studio where people come and they make their own pottery you know that's just a totally different infrastructure mm. because now there is no finished product pots you know you you come in and there's the clay is there and the and the and the paint is there and the glaze is there and and maybe some people who've done it before are there to guide you along the way but it's messy and it's it's hands-on and that's how i want to re reimagine our our physical plant our 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 buildings our spaces those kinds of things every single thing being marshaled instead of the advancement of one person's mosaic kind of vision uh the, the the release of the priesthood of all believers and to actually see the, the goods of the kingdom be put back in their hands. I, I, I think it has something to do with leadership and something to do with the transfer of power, if I could put it that way, um, to, to everyday people to plant the church. For the last 10 years, the Tampa Underground Network has become an incredible move of God. Since then, they've seen over 200 microchurches started and hundreds of people become first-time followers of Christ. Currently, they have 12 sister networks all over the world, including the Philippines, Ireland, Hamburg, and even Myanmar. And the two key things that I don't want you to miss in our interview with Brian and Jeremy is this. Number one, that they have an empowerment model. 
And although Brian and Jeremy are the founders and leaders of the network, they are not the pastors of the microchurches. Instead, their network exists to equip and empower the leaders of the microchurches, as well as other social entrepreneurs to do what it is that God has called them to do. And then secondly, uh, it's possible It's possible to evangelistically engage a city through social entrepreneurship and still have a strong ecclesiology. You don't have to divorce social engagement and ecclesiology. And we see that in the Tampa Underground Network. It's not a parachurch organization, but rather they've developed an innovative ecclesiology structured around mission in the context of their city and communities. Let me say that again. They've developed an innovative ecclesiology structured around mission in the context of their city and communities. So this allows them to lead a church network that's tangibly transforming their city through non-typical, non-religious ventures. And I have a feeling that Tampa Underground is only the beginning of what God's doing in North America and all around the world in seeing churches planted through true gospel transformation. Can you do me a favor? Can you subscribe to our podcast and let others know about it? You can also share this episode on Twitter and Facebook. Just tell people about it. And if you have any questions or comments, go to sendinstitute.org. Shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. See you in our next episode.